We're going to continue our series on preparing an on-ramp for God. The subtitle is Desiring the Pleasure of God, Offering Well. Desiring the Pleasure of God, Offering Well. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 8. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 8. Speaking of Adam, it says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Verse 8. Cain told Abel, his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Lord, help us as we study. Two things I'd like to concentrate on regarding this very sad tale. One, your occupation. And two, your offering. Your occupation and your offering. It says <clears throat> that Adam had relations with his wife and later out came Cain. It doesn't say Adam had relations with his wife again and then came Abel. So because we don't have two sets or two times of in, in interaction in the intimate sense, we believe that Cain and Abel were twins, that they came from the same conception. But that Cain was the eldest, Abel obviously the younger, and that they were probably fraternal twins because they sure didn't have the same kind of value system. Something was different in the way they thought. Secondly, these two boys were probably older and that mom and dad was not with them when they came to church. They were offering on their own. And at some point have, had come to the place where they realized God is my God. He's not just the God of my parents and I'm following my parents to church, but he's really my God. And like the old grandmamas used to say in church, God has no grandchildren. So everybody has to come at some point to the place where they call him their dad, not just the dad of the spiritual father of their parents. And it seems that they had come to that place, so they were probably older. And I don't know that these two offerings happened at the same time. There's no indication of that. In fact, there's more indication because of how God viewed both offerings that probably some time had elapsed whereby the favor of God had been so evident on Abel's offering and so not evident on Cain's offering and that Cain saw how God had blessed Abel that Cain got mad because he was blessed, meaning Abel was blessed, but Cain wasn't. He got just angry about it. So we're probably talking about different times of offering and a period of time whereby both could see the evidence of God's affirmation or his disdain. 
But we look and see two things here regarding this story and how it's told. One is that both men were employed. One was a tiller of the ground, Cain. The other, a keeper of flocks, a shepherd, Abel. And that God emphasizes their occupation, but doesn't leave much room between their occupation and their offering. In fact, only a period separates the two. That the line is very short. And probably because their occupation was so, so important to their worship that they considered what they did to be that which was supposed to honor God in every respect. And considering the fact that they had lived as a first generation of those who were part of the curse. And let me retrace a little bit. Adam had been, had been created by God in Genesis 2. And, and we see the detail of it there. But it says that when he was created, that God placed him in the garden. So after he was created, he went to the garden. He wasn't created in the garden. He was created outside the garden. And then God placed him in the garden. I think, I think the Lord did that to show the distinction on how Adam should receive the blessing called Eden. Now, every place on the planet was great. It was all Barbados. Beautiful, amazing, far beyond whatever we could think of as perfect in our context. It was, it was incredible. But Eden was incredible squared. So whatever Adam experienced outside of the garden, hanging around with God, understanding what he was supposed to do, who he was, when God placed him in the garden, it was one of these, oh my goodness, this is amazing. In my wildest dreams, I never thought you would have given me a house like this. This is, this is the showcase home on HGTV. This is the crowning jewel house on Cribs. Nothing compares with this. Amazing. He walks into eating fruit, huge fruit. It's just hanging off the tree low. I get to go to work here? Wow. This is what you want me to oversee? I mean, every day when the alarm clock rang on Monday, he was happy. I get to work in the greatest environment on the planet. I can't wait to go to work. This is so cool. That's how happy Eden made him every day. God said, I put you here and I want you to work it. Adam had to work it. He worked even before the fall. Now, the kind of work he did, and, and, and we see that the work he did was pretty close to the, to the definition of his creation. That's why it's difficult for a man to try to separate what he, does, what he does from who he is. When a man can't do like he normally does, somehow his identity gets marred. That should not be, but it is. Because there's so much about who he is that's attached to what he does. And though our identity needs to come from Christ alone and us being sons of his, having his name, it's very difficult for a man to separate his occupation from his identity. Very, very hard. Though it needs to be done. Because if you, if you, if, if you can't separate those two, then what you do begins to define who you are. And when you don't do it well, you think less of yourself. When you do it amazing, you think more of yourself. Neither one are the proper perspective.
Whatever God says about you is who you are. How he defines you is who you are. So regardless of whether you're doing well or poor, if you do poor, it doesn't matter because you know who you are. If you're doing well, you don't pat yourself on the back too much because you realize in a minute it could change. It could change. So you understand who you are based on who God says you are, not on what you do. But it's hard for man to separate the two because they're so close in Scripture. But it's important to do so. So Adam was there in the garden and life was great, beyond great. And the food he ate, I, I mean the food, the food we get at Giant. Okay, take whole foods. Com- compared to Adam's food, it was quarter food, not whole food. We are doing everything we can to try to infuse our food with nutrients. To help our food along. Because we're not getting what we ought to get from our food. So when we don't do that, we look to artificial means like vitamins, supplements. This is how far the curse goes. We can't even get what we're supposed to from what we pull from the ground. It's that bad. And, 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 and Adam knew that because when he fell... He was homeless. God said, you got to leave the house. You can't stay here anymore. Not because God was cruel, but because there was a tree in the middle of the garden that was the tree of life. And he had already eaten at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if he eats from the tree of life, he will live forever in death. And I can't have that. This is mercy to remove him from his house. And so he took him outside. And he said, listen, cursed is the ground because of you. And you will work by the sweat of your brow. Oh, he would work, but it would be a different kind of work now. He would work hard, harder than he's ever worked. He never sweat in Eden. Never. A bead never appeared on his brow. He never sweat. But when he was outside, now it's going to be a lot of sweat, a lot of effort. And you would work harder for less because the ground would now yield for you thorns and thistles. That would be the best natural thing that would come without some degree of ingenuity. Thorns and thistles. That was the curse. And so we see that a system of offering came into being. Why? Because at some point, Adam and his boys figured out how to make the ground produce more than just thorns and thistles. Good cultivation, good agrarian skills will teach you, you shouldn't plant that in the shade this over here probably needs a little bit water, more water than that. For potatoes, I probably need to dig in the ground a couple of feet rather than six inches. I need to till the soil for this crop a little bit differently than this crop. This crop grows better with this kind of fertilizer. And so you begin to manipulate. Listen, I planted a garden. I know what it means to get nothing. <laughs> and realize that didn't work. And so I figure out, okay, I read up some stuff. What do I need to do in order to get the greatest yield for my little garden? And when you figure it out, listen, when you get a crop, (laughs) there's no happier man than the farmer with a harvest. It worked. It worked. I've done it and it didn't work. Hallelujah! When Adam, Cain, and and anybody else who tried to plant got something other than thorns and thistles, they said, God, miraculous. Because somehow or another you're giving me the ingenuity to beat the curse, to not have to submit to the curse in this area. 
You're helping me, and it's your particular divine intervention that is assisting my life, and I want you to know how grateful I am for it. You are amazing. If you've got a job for which your account receives direct deposit, gives you a check that you can endorse and put in your bank, every day you need to worship. Because everything about this world is to yield for you things that are inedible. Things that are unfruitful, things that are not consumable. But the fact that you get something on a regular basis, even though you don't like your job, even though you're mad that you got your job, you're wishing every day for a new job, you need to wake up realizing this job is providing for me. And because it is, I need to worship my God because I could have a job that did not provide for me or I could not have a job at all. So I'm grateful that I'm not getting thorns and thistles. Fruit is coming from the effort of my life. Every day you need to act like that. Every day you need to worship. The mercy of God is attending our way every moment. His particular care is so prevalent that when bad stuff happens, you're surprised. What we ought to be surprised with is that good stuff happens at all. That ought to get our attention. But he is so faithful in his mercy that the order of the day for you is kindness and grace. Provision. He cares for you like that to such an extent that you begin to take it for granted and now have a tendency to go toward the side of entitlement. Thinking that I deserve this. This is the way it ought to be. No, the curse says you deserve no fruitfulness in your life. That you do have any is the mercy and constant confirmation of its regular attendance in your life. This way it ought to make you grateful every day you wake up rather than mad about the job you got to go to. And then with your occupation, you know what to do with it. You know what to do with the fruit from which you gain, the fruit you gain from your occupation. Very little distance, one period between Cain being a keeper of flocks, excuse me, Adam being a, Abel being a keeper of flocks, Cain being a tiller of the ground, and then Cain in the course of time offered. And then Abel brought the first one. One period that God has given you provision so that you can provide. He's given you provision so you can provide. Now, your occupation and the fruitfulness thereof allows you the privilege of giving and offering, but it's not that you offer that is so important, though that you offer is important. That you do give is appreciated by me and any other organization to which you donate. We will use it to the best of our ability for its original intent and to bless other people if that is the purpose. We will, we will steward it well and, and you, will, you will experience nothing but thankfulness from us for it. But we're not God. People at goodwill are grateful for your gift too. And those who receive the gift secondhand after that are really grateful. But that's your leftovers. That's what you don't want anymore. 
I don't know that God is really honored by that. Oh, not to say that he doesn't think you did a good thing by making sure you just didn't throw it away and somebody gets to use it again. I just don't know that he's honored by that. How do we express our thanksgiving to God for his provision through our occupation? How do we do that? Not that we do it, but how do we do it? Here we see Cain and Abel taking very different tacks at how they approach God. Regarding offering, it says that in the course of time, Cain brought an offering from the ground to the Lord. And, and the, the original Hebrew says it kind of like this. It happened as it happened. It happened as it came to pass that Cain decided time to offer. And the contrast is this. Abel, it says, but Abel, but Abel, brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. So we see the emphasis between Cain and Abel is that Cain came and said, I'll give to God when I'm ready. I got to feed my family first. I got to pay my bills. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to make sure my kids' tuition is paid. Our IRA needs to be funded too. Yeah, car note, school loans. If whatever's left in the account, I'll give to God. This was Cain's approach. Now, my goal is to not make you mad today. I'm just trying to help you build an on-ramp for God's pleasure in your life. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to get in your pocket. I'm trying to get in your heart. As Cain was going through this process, the contrast is Abel. Abel brought the firstlings of the flock, meaning when his flock bore sheep, he took the first ones and said, I'm going to give these... He didn't know whether the rest of the flock would bear any at all. He just knew, I've got to honor my God with the first. Something about Abel's offering and how was different than Cain's. Now, nothing with respect to the material that was offered was, was either more approved or less approved. In the Old Testament, grain offerings were permissible. And if you did not own a herd or you did not have flocks, then your primary way of offering, you could go out and buy that which you needed to offer, but your primary way of offering to God was through your crops, your agrarian gain. And so there was nothing wrong with that, and God made great provision for people who wanted to offer from the ground. So the, the, the issue was not the kind of offering that they gave. The issue was how they gave their offering. And, and Abel said, I'm going to give her the first, first one. I don't know what's coming next. If, any, if, if they will give stillbirths, if they'll be deformed, I don't know what's coming next. I'd rather keep the one that I know is great. That would be the tendency on our part. I'm going to keep this one, and I'll go ahead and make sure that God gets something. He's just not going to keep what I need. He's not going to get what I need. That's generally the way most of humanity lives their life in terms of provision. Abel said, no, I'm going to give God the very first best thing that comes from my flock. And it said that he gave her the fat portions of that. The fat portions are uh, indicative of the best meat on the animal. 
So after you slay the animal for offering, you'd butcher it up and you'd give it to God. Well, even though it was the best animal, you couldn't keep the lamb chops. The lamb chops are good. Got the bone in it that gives it flavor. Got just enough fat around it to kind of savor the thing. And the fat portions made everything else taste good. This is why we love to eat things that have fat in them. They taste better. That's why we have to say, whenever we look at something that says zero fat, we say, okay, it's good for me. We like the way... We, we like the way the Crisco makes things taste. <laughs> we like, how, you, is it bread or is it, or is it bread and butter? Mmm. Mmm. It said that Abel gave of the fat portion. So when he gave his best animal, he gave the best of the best. He didn't keep the best of the best back for himself. He gave the best and then said, I'm going to give the best of the best to my God too. An amazing offerer. Cain just said, I'm going to give whatever I can, whenever I can. How you give is really important. That you give allows the recipient to benefit however you give. And so the recipient should be grateful whenever it comes, however it comes. But when you're talking about offering something to God, he looks at the how. He weighs the heart. Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 41, is sitting in the temple. And he's seated, seated opposite, it says, the treasury. And he's watching people come in and give. And it says that many wealthy people came in to give. We don't know what it was like, but we do know from other descriptions in, in other texts that people would come who had great wealth and they'd come with an entourage and they would blow trumpets. And they would come with a major offering, 25000 for this wing of the, of the temple to be built. And, and things done in their name. And a million dollars here. And people would just come and give. And there would be all this fanfare. And everybody would notice. And when people would notice, they'd say, boy, that's great. They are amazing in their generosity. Someday I'd want to be able to give like that. That's amazing how they do that. And as Jesus was watching everybody who gave, there was this widow. Dressed in black, probably hunched over not wanting to be seen, came around back and she put in what was called two copper coins or two mites, the total of which amounted to one cent. When you see a penny on the ground, is it worth your time to bend over and pick it up? I mean, many of you just pass right on by when you see a penny. 30 years ago, we didn't do that. But now we do. Eh, where am I going to put it when I get it? When am I ever going to use it? I never give a penny to anything. Yeah, I'll just leave it there. You go through that in your mind real quick, but that's what you do, and you pass right on by the penny. To us, worthless. Jesus says in this moment to the disciples, did y'all see the offering today? To which the disciples, even though it's not mentioned, had to say something like this. Oh, we did. That dude that gave for the wing of the, the temple... That was amazing how he, he gave $50,000. That was just incredible. Everybody rejoiced. Did you see how it generated real momentum in the house? And everybody was hollering and screaming, whoa, look at what he gave to God. Yeah, we saw Jesus. He said, no, 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 no. Did you see the widow? 
Who? No, the, that widow, see, she's walking out there. She gave more than all these people put together because she gave all she had to live on. It was the how, not the what. Jesus looks at the how. How do you give? Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. From, from the first fruits of your harvest. Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first fruits of the harvest. Proverbs 3, 9. Verse 10. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with wine. If you give late, it's not that God won't bless you. It's not that somehow you're so disobedient that he's going to be mad at you forever. It's really a matter of making him happy. And then in turn, how much do you want to be blessed? The operative term in this passage is that when you give of the first, God makes sure that your barns are not just filled, but they are filled with plenty. He makes sure that your vats aren't just filled, but they are filled to overflowing. And you get much more in return, not just for you, but for other people who are in desperate need. The reason God wants to bless you abundantly is not just so you can get more stuff. Now, if you, if, if you want to go out and buy a 50-foot yacht, I'm happy for you. Take me on it. <laughs> Let me have a ride. I ain't mad at you. If you want to get a vacation home, good on you. Blessings to you. Ecclesiastes says, God blesses mankind with stuff so he can enjoy it. So good. But in proportion to your blessing, you also be, ought to be a great giver. You ought to provide for other people in ways that are extraordinary. Don't miss out on the real purpose of your financial blessings. It's not all about you. It is about you a little, but not all. It's also about what God wants to do with others through your resources. He wants to make your vats overflowing, if you will, your cupboards full, your bank account overflowing so that you can help provide for the, the orphans that we're supporting in Kenya and the orphans we have in South Africa to help pay for our building that we're trying to do with cash, to support the kids that we're supporting down at Yorkshire Elementary with, with school supplies and clothes and shoes and camps that we give and preaching the gospel. We're trying to serve our community. God wants to pour out on you so you can help us and yourself pour out on others. How you give is important. And Cain didn't give quite right. Now, let, 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 let me tell you what happens when you don't give quite right. You don't get the unqualified pleasure of God. You don't. It doesn't mean he's mad at you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You just don't get his pleasure. And to that description, it says, for Cain's offering, God had no regard. It didn't say God was angry with Cain. It didn't say God was going to send Cain to hell. It just said, for that particular offering, eh, doesn't mean much to me. But for Abel's offering, he had great regard. And he blessed Abel. And there had to be some distinction between how Cain was blessed and Abel was blessed for Cain to see the difference and be mad about it. Now, let me tell you why Cain was mad. 
He wasn't just mad because he, he wasn't getting what he deserved. He was mad like this. When I was growing up in school, just like you kids today, we, we, we had tests. But our teachers, every once in a while, would do a thing called grading on the curve. And, and, and I love the curve. I love the curve. Now, I, I, I wasn't a bad student. I was a 3-2 student in high school and college, 3-5. So I, I wasn't top of the class, but I was better than average. I had some brains. Things I was not good at were chemistry and physics. I loved the life sciences, zoology, parasitology, biology. All those things just made me happy. But when it came to putting science with math, I just couldn't make it work right in my brain. And that's what physics and chemistry do. It's really word problems and, and, and trying to figure out how you multiply and do algebra. And I, I just wasn't great at that. I was okay, but I wasn't great. And I had a C average in those classes. Now, when you get a C average, that means that you've had some Ds on tests. <laughs> the only way I was able to make it to those is those pop quizzes where I did my homework the night before and I got a 9 out of 10. Woo! And so that kind of weighted all my D's. And so I was in good shape. Plus, I gave credit for doing homework, right? I was in the, I was in the running. I was passing my courses. But there were times when the teacher would come after we did, did the test and say, okay, we're grading this test on a curve. <laughs> and the first thing you'd look at is the guy who was the smartest in the room, wouldn't you? You remember that? First thing you do is you go, what'd you get? Because the curve meant this. The highest score became the 100. So if the best guy, the highest score was a 91, your 64 became a 73. And I was rolling, baby. I needed my 64 to become a 73. I needed that. I was happy. So I was looking, dude, what'd you get? What'd you get? Got a 91. Woo! Now, the teacher never told you before the test that it was going to be graded on a curve because Brett Street would have come out. I would have found the genius and said, hey, hey, dude, listen, I need you to take one for the team today. <laughs> uh, listen, what, what, what's it going to take for you just like to, to blow off 10 questions? Lunch all week long, I'll carry your books. What do you need? I just need you to get an 89 on this test because I really need a 73 out of my 64. It's always afterwards. And being it was afterwards, you, did, you couldn't guarantee that the sharpest guy in the class was really going to tank. So when the teacher said they're graded on the curve and the genius got 100. <laughs> Grading on a curve. What, what, what was the top score? 100. So, 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 that means nothing. Now, who are you mad at? You're not mad at you because you didn't study. You are not mad at you because you didn't study. You are not mad at you because you didn't study. Who are you mad at? Dude! (laughs) And back then, they didn't have 4.2. It was just four. And and, and there were no A minuses. You just got an A. So you could have got a 93 and nobody would have known. (laughs) Why do you have to get a 100? Because now I got a real D. (laughs) I got a real D, dude. (laughs) It ain't going to (laughs) change. I got to work harder for the rest of the class. (sighs) Abel ruined the curve. 
He ruined the curve. Abel, if you had just done it like me, then we'd be equal. God might not be happy with either of us, but there wouldn't be this discrepancy between how he's blessing you and blessing me. And don't we always feel better when we compare ourselves with people who are disobedient? We feel really bad when somebody does well. That, that friend of ours who's living holy and righteous and hadn't slept with a guy. And then our background comes out. <laughs> um, no, I'm not, I'm not you. Yeah, uh, I, I, mm, yeah, yeah, you're strange. You're still, you're, you're still a virgin, really? Wow. And we bring it down to try to make ourselves feel better. And when we find somebody who's less than us, we're thinking, thinking oh, I can help you. Yeah, let's sit down and talk. Yeah, yeah, I, I, ain't, no, I ain't no baby mama's mama. I'm, I'm not that. I may have messed up, but I'm, I'm not that. I ain't got no baby. We're feeling good. We're feeling good that our mistakes haven't been found out fully, that we haven't suffered all the consequences for our misdeeds. That makes us feel good. That's how messed up we are. Cain says, I got to get rid of the guy who's messing up the curve so God can bless me because every time he does something really well and my good isn't good enough, it makes me feel terrible. And Cain's justification the entire time is, I gave. I gave in the offering. I didn't withhold. I gave. How come I'm not blessed? Because the how makes all the difference in the world before God. You want to create an on-ramp of his pleasure, for his pleasure in your life. Make sure you don't give him the leftovers. Make sure your life is fully consecrated for his purpose and that you're not living duplicitously, that you're not this way on Monday through Saturday and then you give him on Sunday. You give him one day a week. You give him the leftover the last day. Make sure that you're offering as you should financially. Make sure you're doing what you should on a regular basis and seeking the kingdom first, not last. Not seeking your own will, your own occupation, your own education. But you're saying, Lord, how can I see your kingdom advance through the things I'm supposed to do? I want your will to be done through that which I am obligated to perform. Please, have your way. I don't want my way. When you live like that, your life will be blessed abundantly. All the stuff that you normally find as provision, you'll get a bumper crop. And most importantly, you'll wake up every day to a smile on the face of God about you. Let's pray.